Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us here on another day that the Lord has made. Quote, there is nothing better to display the truth in an excellent light than a clear and simple statement of facts. End quote from St. Benedict. And as we look back and reflect on 2021 and look forward to the new year, I know I'm looking forward to bringing the truth that is Jesus Christ into this fleeting and hurting world. And we are promised that many things are going to get better here in this new year by our secular authorities. But I don't know about you, but I haven't observed very many solutions that involve the cross of Jesus Christ. Have you? And until our society learns that nothing but chaos and confusion come from a world without the cross of Christ, we are doomed to epic failures. And I'm afraid the projections and models that are showing a trend of more of the same half-truths. And half-truths are full lies this coming year. So what can we do? What can we do, though, as, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ? Well, we need to make an individual choice to follow Jesus Christ by leading a life in friendship with God, by living in a state of grace, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. So let's turn to St. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 31 through 37. This passage really spoke to me. Uh, So let's go to verse 31 here. Jesus then said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are descendants of Abraham and have never been in bondage to anyone. How is it that you say, you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not continue in the house forever. The son continues forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are descendants of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. From the Gospel of John, praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, I was also thinking not only of this passage, but also when Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So let's let the words of Jesus Christ, the truth, resonate in our hearts so that we can be that example to this hurting world. And I'm so thankful this year that you've joined us on the podcast and uh, hearing so much feedback from you has been such a blessing. And we have this one last podcast for the year of 2021. Keep praying for for me and our podcast and uh, for many more episodes that will hopefully edify you spiritually and, uh, and just inviting you to journey with me together. We're all on this journey to heaven to eternal life and uh, it's so good to know that we have many brothers and sisters that are on this path together let's never let the devil isolate us let's always walk together in unity and friendship and community and uh, that's so important here this coming year Uh, i can really feel it and i think that this is going to be the best year the best year of your spiritual life make it the best year of your spiritual life that you've ever had And uh, let's keep building towards, let's keep building the kingdom of God on earth and keep building towards the kingdom that we're going to be heading to, and that is heaven. So one final podcast for the year of 2021, and it was an honor to catch up with Patrick Brown from the podcast Crown and Crozier. Now, Patrick is based out of the Ottawa area, and it's always good to share voices from the church, uh, particularly fellow Canucks as well. 
uh, and also those who have a message and they do it in a public way through media. So give Crown and Crozier a follow and a review, uh, some great topics and guests on the show. And Patrick does such a great job of asking tough and honest questions from his guests, which I quite admire. And I really enjoyed this conversation that I had with Patrick, and I know you will as well. We'll see you on the other side, my friends. Well, praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. We're very blessed to be joined by this gentleman. He's uh, based out of Ontario, hosts a faith-based podcast called Crown and Crozier, which is an initiative of Mission of the Redeemer Ministries. And this podcast invites leading thinkers to explore how the human experience is shaped by the interplay between church and state and what this means for tackling the great challenges of today. We do have a few challenges today, don't we? Welcome to our brother in Christ, Patrick Brown, and welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast, Patrick. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great. It's good to catch up with you, Patrick. I'm very grateful that we've connected here during some extremely challenging times in the church and in our world. But uh, first of all, maybe tell us, uh, our listeners, about yourself and how Christ and the church have influenced your life. Oh, goodness. Uh, well, quick elevator speech introduction. Uh, very fortunate to be married to uh, my wife, Marianne, uh, for 11 years. Uh, we're both Ontario-based. Uh, Ontario is our, our home territory. Uh, I'm from the big city in Toronto. My wife grew up on a hog farm just west of Toronto, outside of Stratford. Uh, we met in Toronto and early years of our marriage. Gosh, we lived in three different cities in our first year, Toronto, Washington, D.C., and Ottawa. Uh, we are the parents, a very blessed, very fortunate parents of five kids, uh, a girl and four boys. We live just south of Ottawa. We're in the next, uh, next municipal- municipality down. We're out in the country, uh, in the southern area of Ottawa, in uh, North Dundas. We got a 10-acre hobby farm, so we got a lot, a lot of mouths to feed, uh, not just ourselves and the kids, but uh, the livestock and the fowl as well. Uh, and we're very blessed to, in terms of, uh, of, of all the graces and comforts uh, and burdens and, and opportunities that, that life, on a, on a life on a farm will present. Uh, in terms of, you know, quick rundown of faith journey, I was very fortunate to be born and raised uh, in a very devout Catholic household. Um, my mom and my dad were excellent examples to my brothers and I growing up, always had all the answers in the world. They're both very, uh, very academic, uh, very intellectual. So we were, we were immersed uh, in that, in that tradition uh, of the church as kids. I'd say one of the most formative experiences for me in terms of uh, faith journey was World Youth Day uh, in 2000 in Rome and also 2002 in my hometown in Toronto. And I, rem- I distinctly remember, I can still remember the evening uh, in Tor Vergata, the large campground uh, in the outskirts of Rome, the evening before the mass uh, with Pope John Paul II and the, the youth choir was singing, Jesus Christ, you are my life. Alleluia, alleluia. And I remember just being struck and floored as an 18 year old looking around at a crowd of millions of youth like myself. And, and honestly, that, that was a, a bit of a revelation. It was, it was a bit of a breakthrough. I, I feel like a personal relationship with God, with Christ really blossomed and, and in some ways began at World Youth Day in Rome. Uh, so that was, that was just such a, that was such a joy, such a blessing. And then two years later in, in, in my hometown, being able to process up University Avenue in downtown Toronto with uh, the way of the cross, uh, that, that was a real sanctifying moment uh, for the city, for our church. Uh, and I know for me and me and my parish 
Uh, and then I'll just say, I've, I've also been fortunate to have the blessings of Catholic education, good, solid, Orthodox Catholic education my entire life, uh, taught by the Christian brothers at De La Salle in Toronto, and then four years at Providence College in, in Providence, Rhode Island with, uh, the, with the Dominicans. Uh, and I, I credit a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, my faith journey to, to that really solid uh, educational formation as well. Well, that's great. And, and the one thing about World Youth Day that I've always uh, loved and hear the experiences of, of young people is when everybody gets together in a big crowd like that, it's so important for kids to know that they're not alone and, uh, exactly. and the youth to know that they're not alone. We just did a, a recent podcast here on um, talking about the life of St. John Paul II. And uh, what kind of influence did he have on your life? You know, for, for our generation, Patrick, he was, uh, you know, such a such a giant, really, when you think about uh, his influence in the church and uh, uh, especially on young people. I know he's inspired me a great deal throughout my life. And even uh, though he's no longer with us on earth, it feels like his influence and, uh, and his prayers are, are so edifying for us on earth. Yeah, where, where to begin? Uh, I mean, I will certainly say since that moment, since World Youth Day in Rome, I have proudly considered myself a member of the JP2 generation. I think just just culturally or demographically or, or even historically, just being conscious of your time and place in the continuum of history. I consider myself uh, a part, a member of, of the JP2 generation. And I find that to be a, a, defining, a, de a defining trait, uh, a defining part of my identity. I, I, I would just share in terms of, you know, memories of him or, or what I, when I think of JP2, what that evokes, uh, a couple of things. I, I again, going back to Rome and, and Toronto World Youth Days, you walked away from those events with uh, a steadfast notion that the head of the church and the church loved you. I mean, I, I think ev everyone I know, uh, or my, my peers, fellow pilgrims for World Youth Day, like we walked away convicted that John Paul II loved us and that the occupant of the the seat of Peter loved us. And I mean, hardcore loved us. And you just, you, you couldn't escape that, that feeling. And he, he had a way of connecting with youth. And I think this comes through in all the vignettes that have been told about his life, his biography by George Weigel, Witness to Hope. I mean, he had a real gift for connecting with youth. And I even remember at World Youth Day in Toronto, I had the good fortune of, of being part of the way of, way of the Cross procession and we were very graciously invited to, to bid farewell to the Pope at the airport in Toronto. And he was very feeble, you may remember, uh, very, very physically weak at that time. He needed uh, almost a, a walker. He was being pushed around. And, and I remember being at the Toronto airport, you know, 20 feet away from him and this physically frail individual, but with these eyes still a, f a flame, still a fire with love. And I thought, my goodness, even in, even even in the, the twilight of his life in this condition, it was just so clear um, how much he loved the faithful, how much he loved the youth. Uh, and, and, and that was, that was very, that was very overwhelming. Um, and then I think you juxtapose that with just his towering intellect, uh, the gift of all of, uh, in, in particular, I've, I've always been drawn to his encyclicals and love and responsibility. I would say those, those among the corpus of his work, love and responsibility and his encyclicals, Santissimus Annus and, and the like. Uh, I think what a gift, what, what a legacy. Uh, and, and the final thing being, of course, you know, the warrior that he was for, for freedom and liberty. Uh, and the, the, among, the, among the individuals who had a singular contribution to the fall of communism, the fall of totalitarianism in Eastern Europe, 
I mean, you, you, everyone credits him, whether they're outside the church or inside the church, it's undeniable the role that he played as a champion of Liberty. And I just think, my goodness, you know, that mix of qualities and that legacy, you can't help but love the guy. Well, he lived through some incredibly brutal regimes, right? And he saw them firsthand in Poland, uh, whether that was the Nazi Germanys to the the communist uh, Soviets, uh, you know, he, he saw them all, right? And that connection with youth too, Patrick, I, I always loved about him. And, and uh, you know, you look back in his life as, uh, as, a, as an actor and as a, um, you know, somebody really involved with the arts in that sense, but he was also a skier and he loved going uh, in a canoe and, when he was a priest, he'd go on hikes with uh, the youth. And, uh, you know, I think just having that experience, he saw evil government, evil, you know, a totalitarian, brutal, diabolic. What, what can happen when, when governments go, go wrong, you know? And, uh, and I think his message is, is very relevant today, even though he hasn't really been away from us that long. But uh, like you said, the encyclicals and his life and his words, they still have such great influence in our church if we allow them. And, you know, a lot of people too, they're starting to forget a little bit about his life. You know, people that are already maybe in their teen years or in their twenties, even my kids, it's kind of hard for me to even get my head around this, but they, they weren't around when, when uh, Pope John Paul II was, uh, was the pontiff. So to keep his, uh, his memory and his legacy alive uh, and uh, through the seat of Peter, which is so important, mm-hmm. I think for our, our non-Catholic listeners, uh, there was Carol Vatila, the man, there was the Pope John Paul II, but really the the seat of Peter that um, that office is really what uh, it means so much to us as Catholics, and we can trace it all the way back, you know, to uh, to the great Saint Peter, and it's a, it's a beautiful uh, beautiful part of our church. So, yeah, um, I, I think I think if if I yeah, just one other thing to say yeah. about John Paul II, I would say as a youth uh, coming of age in my faith, I idealized the man. Uh, in my mind, there was. Uh, well, he was literally infallible, ex, ex cathedra, but it was one of those. I mean, wow, this guy can just do no wrong. And don't, don't, don't uh, misconstrue me here, but I, I think it has been, it has been very enlightening as, as I've tried to become more serious about being, uh, being faithful and, and growing in the faith, and learning more about the church and its legacy. I think looking back now, uh, in the middle of my life, y- you do realize like the guy had his flaws, and it's, it's a tough job. Uh, trying to run the Catholic Church, and and he fell short in a couple of ways. And I think here and there we 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 were starting to, you know, more of that stuff comes out as as the years pass. It, you know, pains me to talk about the the scandal with Cardinal McCarrick, and you know, there are questions around could John Paul II have done more? Maybe asked more questions, had more of the right people doing more of the right things, and uh, you know, with the Vatican operating the way it does and being such a sprawling bureaucracy, you know, you, you try not to be a Monday morning quarterback with the guy, but you, you, you kind of realize in hindsight, yeah, you know, he wasn't perfect. I think that's what I'm getting at. He wasn't perfect. Uh, but I think if nothing else, like that's, that's just part of the lesson of humanity. That's part of the lesson of being saints. Uh, no saint is perfect. They, they get their place in heaven, uh, but they're, they're not perfect. Only God is perfect. Uh, and I know for me, that's, that's been, that's been a very encouraging uh, lesson uh, from his life. The more I've learned about it, like he's, he was a saint, absolutely, but he wasn't perfect. Uh, and, and I think that's, <laughs> that, that's kind of the, the expectations and the reality for all of us. Well, that's a great point. And, and we're all, we're all, uh, 
uh, we stumble stumble with with sin and concupiscence, and and yep. the popes they're not uh, immune from that. Uh, nope. They're they're born with original sin as well, right? And and look at our great saints. You think of Augustine, and uh, you know he's uh, he had a lot of baggage with uh, having an, an illegitimate child, you know, at the time, yep. which was very very scandalous. Uh, and uh, but uh, became a great saint in the church. And we've been talking about Saint Vincent Ferrer lately, and throughout his life is is great that God worked amazing things through this man but he still struggled with impurity every day of his life and uh, a great saint, but impurity. And and how many of us, especially of us men that we can take that in, 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 as an example of God's mercy for us and that we can go to confession and receive the Eucharist worthily. And we can make that start again, every time that we stumble and, and great saints have gone before us that, uh, that are in heaven right now. And they go through the exact same struggles and have made some big mistakes, but, uh, Starting with our saint, our first pope, right, uh, Patrick? Back to Peter, and yeah. and even denying Christ three times, but still becoming uh, a, the first pope of our church. So, so let's talk about this podcast that you've got, Patrick. This is really exciting. Uh, it's always nice to meet other podcasters in Canada. That uh, and and we're I'll use a hockey term for our listeners. We call them weekend warriors, guys that uh, <laughs> might have a a family life and uh, and a, a real a job that. Uh, to make ends meet outside of uh, doing a podcast, but uh, what kind of inspired you to uh, to do this as something a little bit extra for the kingdom? And uh, why is it important to have Crown and Crozier podcast out there? Sure. Well, this project, the po- the podcast, is uh, it's a fruit of friendship first and foremost. Uh, I don't do it solo. I couldn't do it solo. I, I do it with my wingman, my good friend Michael Dobb. Uh, he and I have been friends for over ten years, uh, and he. Uh, he used to live in Ottawa, uh, recently located south of the border. So we're now an international podcast, I guess. Uh, but he would love to come down to our, our hobby farm uh, and just help out with chores, help out with the animals, uh, get a bit of uh, the fresh country air. And, you know, we would shoot the breeze working together. And it was around a time, you know, I'd say two and a half years ago or so, where we both were really falling in love with the medium of podcasting. We just really enjoyed the, the breadth and depth of content out there, largely free of charge. And just uh, being able to pass the time, whether you're behind the wheel of a car or maybe a quiet moment after the kids go to bed, or if you're just washing the dishes, there's something out there for you. You can, uh, in, some, in some installment of your choice, uh, and you can, any subject matter uh, that you could possibly want. And of course, uh, podcast uh, about the faith um, were, were among our most favorites. So we just kind of got to chatting and uh, yeah. And then, and honestly, I think, I think it was a couple months later, we were shoveling out poop from our chicken coop from, from my chicken coop. And I think the light bulb just kind of went off. So I, I always attribute. Uh, I've been there, Patrick, all yeah, kinds of great ideas come yeah, from shoveling poop we, out of a chicken coop. Yeah, that. We, we did originate, <laughs> we did originate in part from the messiness of, of cleaning out the chicken coop, but that was kind of the moment where we, we thought, yeah, you know, I think we can do this. And I, I think we should do this. This could be a lot of fun. This could be really fruitful. And we're both passionate about the faith. We're also passionate about politics. Uh, like I know many people are, uh, and we thought, you know, we bounced around this idea of uh, looking at contemporary issues, current events with which we're all seized, uh, which impact us so much. You know, there's so much of our lives where that is spent being governed. And I don't, I don't mean that flippantly, but there's so much of our life that is that is determined and shaped by the laws in our society uh, and also uh, the rules and the teachings of the church uh, and making that all fit 
making that a, a neat marriage. It's, it's a lifelong journey. So we, we were bouncing these ideas, these ideas off. And then finally we kind of, we kind of bit the bullet and said, you know what, let's go ahead and do this. We put it to prayer and we really felt like the Lord was calling us. So we do feel like there's a vocational element to this. And in terms of what, uh, you know, we feel Crown and Crozier has to offer. Uh, we do feel it is a really good balance between exploring current events, uh, trying to wrap our heads around uh, what to do in, in light of the challenges of, of, of present day times. But we're firmly convicted uh, that there's such a richness and depth in the church's tradition that we really want to come out into the fore as it relates to being a good citizen, uh, as it relates to being a responsible member of our life in common. Uh, and uh, yeah, and everything kind of, everything kind of flows from that. Uh, so every episode that we do, we, we try to have some kind of nexus between, um, civic authority or civil, civil temporal issues and, uh, spiritual authority or religious authority, uh, the church state and, and faithful citizenship. So we, we've kind of carved out that niche for ourselves. Uh, and it's been a, a really enjoyable, really encouraging experience so far. And the need is so great too, Patrick, right? Like there's, uh, uh, there's almost one third of Catholic, or, uh, the Canadian population is Catholic, baptized Catholic. Uh, and there's a, there's a great need for uh, Catholic content out there. Um, you know, encouraging people to, to dive into their faith, whether that's reading the catechism scripture, but also being involved with current events, knowing what's happening around us, not necessarily becoming so involved that it's, uh, you know, totally driving us crazy in our lives, but uh, being in the world, but not of the world is sort of our little catchphrase in the, uh, in a Catholic mm-hmm. Connect podcast. I think it's so important to educate ourselves, but to find good sources and uh, to really discern uh, those voices that are out there. And there are some really good voices, but I just find not really enough in Canada. So it's, uh, it's great to, to catch up with you. We have other very good voices in Canada, but uh, compared to somewhere like the United States where there's, there's so many, that have entered the, the podcast world. It's, it's nice to have uh, some friends too, and some brothers in Christ to be uh, working alongside in the vineyard with Patrick. So uh, I want to ask Amen. you about um, separation of church and state um, amongst people in the secular world, even in our church, right? Maybe, you know, we need to define that term first. What is the separation of church and state? So what does that mean? Is it even a Christian principle, Patrick? Well, I, I think your latter question is, is kind of the million dollar question. And, you know, there have been a couple of really insightful, really rewarding lessons and, uh, and, and in some measures, revelations just in this early stint on our podcast. I mean, we only launched in, in May, uh, but a couple of the guests we've had on, uh, I mean, Scott Hahn is one of them. He, he wrote a recent book on this topic uh, is they've, they've kind of hammered home the notion that this the the concept and the language of separation in church and state it's not necessarily a christian idea uh, that's very much the fruit of enlightenment thinking that is 17th 18th european and uh, in some extent uh, american thought uh where there was and, and and you know bear in mind putting it in context uh, there was there was much of the the 16th and the 17th century in, in Europe where uh, unfortunately there were, there was a lot of conflict there were a lot of wars uh, between different christian denominations i would argue many others would argue a lot of that was more about power politics than than faith and religion um, but bearing in mind that much of europe was a battlefield for a while uh, you know there there was a push to kind of make these things separate to to try and keep the peace 
but it, at the end of the day, it is very much, uh, it, it's language, it's thinking that is a child of the enlightenment. It's not necessarily a child of the deposit of faith. It's not necessarily the child of Holy Scripture. And in fact, uh, when we were launching our podcast or, or uh, preparing to, to launch it and discerning it, we were looking at uh, what to call it, uh, what name to give it. And, and truthfully, one of the first names that we gave serious consideration to was the two swords. And I don't know if, if that uh, means any, anything to you uh, or, or, or rings any bells, but the reason we were looking at that is there's this really, really fascinating line of thought in church history around the concept of the two swords. And as best as I can tell, this originates around the 400s uh, with Pope Gelasius, uh, late 400s, in a letter he wrote to the, the emperor of the time, essentially laying out this theory that uh, our lives are governed by two swords, by two forms of authority, the spiritual and the temporal. They work together in partnership for the betterment of mankind. But at the end of the day, the spiritual sword carries more weight. Everything is subject uh, to the spirit, to the church, to God. So yes, each has their proper place, but they work in harmony. They work in tandem. Uh, and at the end of the day, th they're all subject to divine authority. Uh, and I remember just coming across this and being really, really intrigued by it and, and partly being inspired uh, to launch the podcast uh, based on this concept. Eventually, we, we thought, you know what, two swords is just some people are going to think this is a military podcast or something. So then it's not going to resonate. So we ended up with crown and crozier. Um, but yeah, that, that, that theory of the two swords is actually something that you see evolve uh, over the middle ages. It's referenced by Pope Boniface the eighth in the, the 13th and the 14th century. Uh, and it's uh, referenced by, by later popes. Uh, and, and that arguably, that arguably is more of, uh, of a, more of a Christian worldview. Yes, uh, uh, we have our lives in common. We need to be governed under common civil rules. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all at the service. Uh, it's all under the authority of God. And it, it almost goes back. I mean, I think it goes back to what Pilate, uh, excuse me, what Jesus said to Pilate. Pi Jesus kind of affirmed the authority that Pilate had in his office as a Roman governor. But he said to him, uh, you would have no authority unless it came from God itself. So there was, there's a natural ordering of civil authority, even for a guy like Pontius Pilate. And I, I think that's much more of a, that's much more of a, of, of a Christian way of thinking. And, and again, uh, going back to, to the guys like Scott Hahn, I, I, one, one thing we loved about our conversation with him was, was his emphasis on being very careful about not surrendering the terms of debate and, the terms of our life in common, uh, because I think too, he, he would argue and I would agree too many Christians have fallen into the trap of, of using the language and the mentality of modernity to define ourselves and to divide, define our identity as Christians. And that includes kind of either embracing or just tacitly acquiescing or accepting this notion of complete and total and utter separation of church and state. Uh, and I'd respectfully argue, you know, you turn your eyes back, uh, back into the history of church I think you'll find uh, different principles at play. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, you hear the secular in Canada, we're trying so hard to be secular, aren't we, Patrick? Like we're just trying to be, that's what we are as a government and as a people, anything to do with, uh, with religion. Again, that's why I, I wanted to get your thoughts. I thought you explained it real well. 
you know, the, the separation of church and state, but the freedom of religion versus the freedom from religion, it seems to be that that's kind of where the, this narrative is, is taking this kind of a real ugly turn in the last several years. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think here in Canada, one of the really interesting case studies at the moment is Bill 21 in Quebec. And uh, so for, for those who might not be familiar, this is essentially uh, uh, a, a secularization law that uh, Quebec put into place and the, uh, yeah, the provincial government of Quebec put in place a couple, about a year or two ago. And essentially it bans uh, the wearing or the display of religious symbols in public spaces. And that's really what Bill 21 is, is about at the end of the day. And there was some controversy when it was being debated in the legislature and whatnot. And then it, things kind of went quiet. It, it did come up a little bit in the 2019 federal election campaign, a little bit in 2021, uh, but it kind of died down and dissipated. And then just in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure how much of the headlines have made its way out to Western Canada, but here, you know, we're just across the river from, from Gatineau, Quebec, where this whole thing went down. But a teacher in Gatineau uh, wearing a hijab, uh, a woman of the Muslim faith, from what I understand, she was fired. She was either dismissed or asked not to come to school, or she may have been fired or let go simply for wearing a hijab in a public school. And there's been an outcry, I would argue rightfully so, but it's, it's very interesting to see kind of the schizophrenia at play uh, with the Canadian intelligentsia, the media, thought leaders, and, and the public. Uh, you know, there's, there's kind of this intuitive sense you can almost grasp that people know this is wrong. People know you shouldn't lose your livelihood because of the re a religious symbol or religious attire that you're wearing. But it's a lot of people lack the vocabulary to kind of explain why. And people on the other side are kind of lacking the vocabulary to, to justify why this individual should, should lose her job. And it's been interesting to see even our federal political parties are all over the map. I mean, you got the leader of the Conservative Party basically saying, you know, I wash my hands of this. This is a provincial issue. We're not going to interfere in Quebec's internal affairs. You have Prime Minister Trudeau, I think, trying to say, yeah, this is a bad thing, but then not really knowing how to kind of wiggle, the, wiggle his way out of the corner he often backs himself into when it comes to leaving out your faith in the public square. And then interestingly, you have uh, Jasmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP party, who's, who's, a, who's a Sikh and who wears, a who wears religious attire day in and day out. And he's been the most vocal in opposition. And, and I actually, I credit Singh quite a bit. I, th I think this, this is an issue of fundamental liberty. And it's been, uh, I would say it's been very disappointing to see the conservatives in particular not go at this. I think even under Andrew Scheer, they, they were pretty pretty gun shy when it came to, to criticizing this law. I think a lot of it has to do with just kind of political motives and political calculations for purposes of, of seats in Quebec. But yeah, this is, this is a fundamental issue. It engages fundamental religious liberty and in kind of classic Canadian, uh, classic Canadian way, people are all over the map. There's schizophrenia at play, how this sorts itself out. You know, now that things are getting real, People are losing their jobs for wearing religious attire uh, to work. It'll be interesting to see how this gets resolved um, because, because the simple solution would simply would be to affirm and to celebrate and to protect people's religious liberties. Uh, we don't seem to take the, the simple and rational course of action as often as we should up here, however. Yes, uh, Splay Canadians starting to come back to bite us, right? And but to, to that earlier point that you made, Patrick, about the law comes from from God, right? And 
if we don't have a solid foundation and, and we start to, you know, come up with these different explanations of why we're putting in certain bills or certain laws, regulations, and if it's, uh, the foundation is built on sand, it's going to crumble. And when you end up trying to please uh, everybody, you end up pleasing absolutely nobody. And at yeah. the end, we get people's rights uh, stomped on and, uh, you know, the face of, of what, um, what we've come to love about Canada, which is uh, really a, a diverse, and I hate using lingo like that, but I mean, we just have so many backgrounds in Canada. We've, we've been given the foundations of, uh, gifted them by the Catholic Church and Christendom and, and uh, the West. And, uh, you know, we think about law and order and the faith and, and starting with the RCMP and the Roman Catholic Church and how far we've come uh, going kind of in the wrong direction on these things. And something we hope to advance with our, with our podcast program, Crown and Crozier, and just something that I'm personally passionate about as a Canadian, I, I think we really need to restore and reclaim the beautiful heritage we have as Canadians, not just around liberty, but around the role of religious liberty. I think we need to rediscover and, and take more pride in the distinctly, uniquely Canadian experience and legacy of liberty and religious liberty. Let's remember in 1867, when those four provinces came together in Confederation, one of the things that was at the core of that agreement and that development was religious liberty. It was the Protestants in Upper Canada and the Catholics in Lower Canada uh, coming together and saying, you know what, uh, we're going to build something bigger than ourselves and we're each going to protect, we're going to ensure that we can we're going to ensure each we're going to ensure each other's way of life we are we are going to ensure the ability of each other to continue worshiping uh the way uh the way we want to uh, and that that agreement between catholics and protestants that was historic anywhere in the western world that was historic you will not find that replicated anywhere else that's distinctly canadian it's a unique contribution that we have to offer in the in the annals of liberty Catholics and Protestants coming together. It's part of our heritage. It's, it's immersed in our DNA. We cannot escape it. We should celebrate it. Uh, and if, and if, if nothing else, if our podcast can contribute to reclaiming that heritage and history, we will be incredibly grateful. Absolutely. For sure. And uh, we all have a part to play, right? As the baptized, we have a part to play in building this. We can't just sit back and say, well, let's let our parish priest do it, or let's let our bishop do it. No. Let's let the Catholic guy across the pew, let him do it. We all have a role to play in, in uh, salvation history. And uh, we do have a gift to share with the world and for our own country and, and for our own parish and our community. And that's how we build it. Right, Patrick? I want to give you a quote. It's in the Catechism of the Catholic Church as well, but it's uh, one that's good to, to St. John Chrysostom. It says, uh, quote, you cannot pray at home like you can at church, where there is a great multitude, where exclamations are cry out to God, as from one great heart, and where there is something more, the union of minds, the accord of souls, the bond of charity, and the prayer of priests, end quote. And always one of my, uh, one of my favorites that I've uh, thought much, a lot about this past year and last couple of years, you know, Patrick, we've, uh, we're zeroing in on two full years now following that statement heard around the, the West. And that was, Hey, we need two weeks to flatten the curve. Uh, it's hard to believe how far we've uh, descended. Uh, and we're all, we're all in this together. We all heard that too. And to this undeniable and you know, potentially really irreparable division in our society that we have right now, especially when we have a society that's looking for solutions without the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Um, I want to get your thoughts, and, and I know you've touched on this with several of your guests in the last uh, little while on, on your podcast, and I've really enjoyed listening to to those episodes. As I've listened, to all of all of yours have been great, but those ones have been really of interest to me, just given the situation in our world. But how how does um, especially here in Canada, Patrick? What do you think the church's response has been to to mandates um, when it comes to um, attending mass restrictions? What's the Catholic Church's performance in Canada been, in your estimation, in the last two years? So the, the way I would, the way I would start with a response to that question, is actually going back to that elegant, beautiful quote uh, from Saint John Chrysostom. In part, or in large part, what he's getting at there is, as Catholics, we believe we're members of a bigger body. We don't, unlike many of our Protestant brethren, it's not just about us and God. We are a, a corporal people. We worship as a body. We believe as a body. We are members of a body. We are members of the mystical body of Christ. That's who we are. That's what we do. And everything flows from that. And I, I think that, to be honest, some of that got lost or got clouded in fog in the early days of the pandemic. And depending on where you live in the world, in Canada and North America, the fog maybe has lifted in many places it, ha it hasn't. And I, if you start with the premise that we are members of a mystical body, we pray as a body, we worship as a body. The fullness of our worship is expressed communally as a body. Hence the importance, the essential imperative of gathering together, observing the Sabbath, worshiping as a body and rendering justice to God in that way. And I think if you take, if you accept all of that seriously, if you take all of that seriously, if you live your life by those parameters, when worship is restricted, when you're cut off from the sacraments, when you're cut off from worshiping as a body, when you're cut off from other members of the mystical body, you don't just take that. You don't just accept that unless these circumstances are extraordinarily grave, extraordinarily dire. I, I would contend, I, I, I would concede that in the early months, the first few weeks, the first few months of the pandemic, there was so much uncertainty. No one really knew what was going on. I think we really have to give, I think we have to give decision makers, including uh, in the church, our church authorities, we have to give them some credit and allowance for the uncertainty of the early days. I would, I would respectfully argue that around summer of 2020, June, July, August, it was a little bit more clear the nature of the risk we were dealing with as it, as it related to COVID. And I think that's when you started to see some jurisdictions in the US, for example, the bishops gathered together and said, all right, we're, we're getting back to church one way or another. We'll be creative. We'll be accommodating. We can limit capacity, but we're getting back to church. We're getting back to mass. We're getting back in the business of rendering justice to God. In a lot of places that didn't happen, including Canadian provinces, and I would respectfully submit that was probably uh, the biggest failing of the church in this whole, uh, in this whole pandemic, uh, in this whole experience. I, th I think the church did many things well, uh, not just members of the clergy, but uh, there were members of the laity who did extraordinary things serving their neighbors, whether it's fetching groceries or uh, taking care of kids or, or what have you. Uh, there was a lot of solidarity, uh, corporal works of mercy extended in that time. Uh, but, but I think there was too much ground seated in terms of 
what it means to be Catholic and the business of being Catholic. And that's worship, that's sacraments. It's not just the Eucharist. It's also sacraments like administering the last rites. I mean, how many people died alone in long-term care facilities, in hospitals, uh, not just alone, you know, not, not holding the hands of a loved one, but with, without the benefit of the last rites. If you take the sacrament seriously, if you take last rites seriously, I mean, you're going to bend over backwards. You're going to burst through doors uh, to administer uh, viaticum and, uh, and the last rites. And you just, in many, you don't want to paint with too big a brush, but in many corners of the church, you just didn't see that on, on display. You didn't see that self-awareness, that self-understanding of what it means to be a member of the mystical body of Christ. And I think, unfortunately, that's going to be one of the lasting legacies of the pandemic. Uh, I hope that lesson can be learned and we avoid that mistake in the future. Again, depending on where you are in the church uh, these days, though, uh, there can still be some concern and skepticism about that. I, th I think even in the way, even in the, way uh, the church hierarchy and some of our bishops and priests have gone about the question of mandates. Uh, I think the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, it was December 2020, they, they put out an authoritative statement, uh, uh, some, some teaching as it relates to the, the anti-COVID vaccines. I think that statement was very well crafted. Uh, it, it was it was steeped in, uh, in in doctrine and tradition and the magisterium. It laid out some key boundaries, like uh, you know, if receiving a vaccine is a prudential decision. It's morally licit to do so. It's morally licit to decline. Uh, it always has to be voluntary. There is a responsibility on the part of all the faithful to advocate for vaccines that have not been developed or tested uh, using aborted fetal cells. Uh, so. I, th I think that uh, that that statement uh, said a lot and carried a lot of weight, but it hasn't been consistently implemented or practiced, even even by mem by members of the church, whether uh, whether bishops, priests, or 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 people in the pews. So it's been a mixed record, to be sure, uh, a mixed record. And I, I would invite uh, your listeners to to check out some of our episodes. Uh, Phil Lawler, uh, the the interview we had with him. I mean, he's he read he wrote a whole book on this. Uh, how, how the church doesn't, it, it can't succumb to fear. I, I think that's the argument at the end of the day. We're not a people of fear. We fear the Lord, but we shouldn't fear death. We shouldn't fear anything else. Uh, and, and, and we got to get, we got to get back quickly to, uh, to practicing that and, and believing it with conviction. I love the example of another great Saint, Saint Charles Borromeo during the, the time of the plague, the Saint Charles plague, but he must've done a great job if they named the plague after him. <laughs> but that's what he's known for. Or one of the, one of the many things he's known for. And uh, he came up with the, uh, the, the great quote, fear the plague of the soul over the contagion of the mm -hmm. body. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, there's uh, I think from my perspective and the concerns I've had is that the government will say one thing, but when, and there are reasonable accommodations that, that the church has been trying to make through various dioceses. But when you go over and above to the point where, you restrict access to the sacraments, to attending mass uh, over and above what even the government is asking for. And I think it's a very fair question for the faithful to ask, what exactly is going on here? Uh, when we look at examples of the past, and I mentioned St. Charles Borromeo as one, because I just think he did such a fantastic job of putting a high premium on the sacraments, still attending mass if you were well. And even if you were feeling a little under the weather, you had a separate holy water font. Mm. One for the sick, one for those who were, who were feeling well. Um, even when they were shutting the church down and had, had to take some breaks, they still had catechesis on street corners outdoors. 
um, you know, the, the reception of the sacraments of communion, going to confession, the sacrament of, of uh, extreme unction, receiving the, 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 the last rites was so important, just like you mentioned, Patrick. We have these great examples before us. And, uh, you know, we even name our parishes after these great saints, but we seem to have, we just can't seem to connect the, the lessons that we've already, or at least the, the roadmap that's been provided to us and, uh, and using them practically in the present day. And I, it seems to be this, this kind of a perfect storm where we know that there's a, a lack of belief in the real presence of the Eucharist. And then you have a um, dispensation, a mass dispensation in many dioceses that people can just stay home. But um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts, I guess, on encouraging the faithful? Even now and today, it's still very uncertain in the world. People still may have some, some fears, but maybe what is that, uh, that next step for the faithful to realize that I still have to go to confession. The devil is not in isolation. He's still coming for all of us, right? Yeah, you no, know, it's it's interesting uh, when we set out to do this podcast on church and state. Uh, naturally, you think you're going to be spending a lot of time talking about politics, talking about laws, talking about politicians, and the number of episodes in which we've deliberately or inadvertently found ourselves talking about the Eucharist. That's been one of the real pleasant surprises uh, of this podcast. Is is really bringing it back home, bringing it back to basics. And, and living out that, uh, that statement from Vatican II around how the Eucharist is the source and the center and the summit of our lives. And the more I reflected upon this, the experience of the pandemic, uh, and the more I reflect on, on religion and, or Catholicism and politics in general, I think I keep coming back to the Eucharist more and more. And if, if we can get that right, if, if we can understand what receiving the Eucharist means, what the gift of it is, then we will know who we are. We, we will firmly know who we are as a church. Uh, I think so much of the confusion and the shortcoming of the past 20 months has, has been uh, amnesia. We've, we've forgotten who we are. We've forgotten our membership in a larger body and what that membership entails, what it demands. And so much of it at the end of the day, is, it's back to encountering Christ in the Eucharist. And if we take that seriously, we are not going to abide. We're not going to just accept restrictions on our ability to encounter the Lord in the Eucharist on a weekly basis. Uh, that, that's just not tolerable. Um, that's not what we do as Catholics. It's not what we can accept. So for, so for me uh, and, and for, for many of the conversations we've had on Crown and Crozier, so much of it comes back to that. I, I think even more recently, uh, you, you may be aware south of the border, the bishops in the United States, they, they just developed a teaching document on the mystery of the Eucharist. And that was a major event in the life of the U.S. church this year, obviously with uh, close association with very high profile self-professed Catholics who hold elected office in the United States, President Biden, Nancy Pelosi and the like. And the, uh, the controversy around those individuals presenting themselves for communion, you know, so much, so much of this revolves around encountering Christ worthily uh, in, in the Eucharist. Uh, and, and if anything, I, I think that's step one. Um, it's, it's generally known. Uh, there's, there's some famous statistics thrown around in the U.S. that 70% of, of Catholics in the U.S. don't really believe or they don't understand the real presence in the Eucharist. I mean, we, we start moving that needle in the opposite direction. I am confident uh, wonderful fruits will flow from that and we'll see that manifested uh, in the public square. 
That's awesome. And let's keep praying that, that, uh, that we uh, use our individual ministries wherever we're at in life, wherever we're planted to, to push that message of our Eucharistic Lord forward, Patrick. I think that's a great strategy. Um, I really want to thank you for your time, Patrick, uh, and, and your, uh, your podcast. Uh, thanks for doing that. And I look forward to staying in touch with you. Remind our listeners again of how they can uh, get a hold of your work. Uh, you can find us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, of choice, We are on Apple, Google, Spotify. We also have our own website, crownandcrozier.com. So very easy to find us and, and check us out. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, let us know some guests you'd like to see, some topics you'd like to see in the future. Uh, but yeah, you can, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks again to Patrick Brown for joining us on this episode of the Catholic Connect Podcast. And again, you can find him at Crown and Crozier, a great little podcast that you can like and subscribe to. You will not regret it. Some very good content that Patrick is churning out over there. And I want to apologize too for the audio and something I learned this year in 2021. I've learned many things in 2021, as I'm sure you have as well. But in the podcast world, when you're recording, always have a backup. Well, my primary recording for some reason had some technical difficulties and I had to resort to my backup. So that's why my voice sounded a little echoey and tinny. That's because I went to plan B, which I didn't want to do, but it happened. So praise God for the inconveniences. And I guess we offer those up as well. But uh, thanks for your patience. And uh, thanks again to Patrick for joining us. That's our last episode of 2021. It's been some kind of year. But uh, remember, 2022, let's make that the best year. This year, if you're going to make a resolution, make it a spiritual resolution. And remember that sometimes in order to to get something that we really want, we've got to give something up. And that's in our spiritual lives. That's something I'm discerning right now. What can I sacrifice in order to uh, bring people to Christ, to benefit this church as a whole? And I challenge you as your brother in Christ to look at doing the same thing. And I also encourage you to reach out to me anytime. Follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, the Catholic Connect Podcast. Keep praying for us. Keep praying for me my family and I always pray for you as well. Thanks for all your support this year. Looking forward to more great stuff in the future and on this road to eternal life. Let's have a smile on our face. Let's proceed with joy because we know what we've got to do in order to make that significant difference in the world that Jesus wants us to do. And that is to live in a state of grace and that's to go to confession at least three times every year, every Advent, every Lent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.